with the teachings and instructions and commandments found in Scripture. Reveal your will to us. Charge us with never forgetting the way of Yahuwah. Indeed, let us not err in our minds when we see all about us images of silver and gold ornaments with glittering lights. May your Torah never depart from our hearts and answer us as we seek your light in the midst of a world of darkness which knows you not or that chooses to rebel against you. Oh yeah, Bet Yeshurun gathers this, evening, this afternoon to bless you. We bow and worship of you and Yahushua, your beloved son. We bless his holy Kodesh name and humbly ask that our pastor Obadiah's teaching this Sabbath helps us acquire better knowledge and more complete understanding of your purpose, your will, your way. Bless our pastor in his lesson. May he be made clear to our minds so that we can give careful thought to this lesson's effect and come to know the glory of your wonder and mighty deeds which are being accomplished in our Redeemer and King Yahushua, in whose name we pray this afternoon. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to say a short personal prayer as well before getting started. Heavenly Yahweh, Yahweh, I just pray that this day you see you where I conquer my way. Even at this very moment, send him within me to abide as I strive to lead and guide your flock into the green pastures of your word, causing to bring to memory all the things I've heard during my study time with you and to filter my lips that nothing escapes from except that which is good and true. Therefore, from the lesson this day, Father, I do pray that you allow your flock to feed freely, not that they might be impressed with me, but that they may be blessed by thee. Only pray that you utilize me to illuminate the darkness with your word's light, that it displaces any fright and that it strengthens their hands that they might fight to enter into thy kingdom. Therefore, for me this day, Father, I do pray that you allow your light to shine extra bright again, not that they might see me, but that they may find you. The one in whom all glory and honor is due. Yahuwah, my Ella King, I pray that you accept for me this day or offer me in Yahushua's name. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. All right. We are going to continue on with our discipleship training. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to start off by entering into the world of scripture Be a poem Who would have thought, right? It says, welcome to my world A place where the natural eyes can't see When your physical bodies can't be Where the last is first, the first is last The end is told from the beginning When it appears as though one is losing They're actually winning Where trumpets are depicted as voices And the persecuted righteous don't complain But actually rejoices here, swords are likened to the word, or demons of birth, the dead are yet alive, the living are actually dead, blood and flesh are even depicted as wine and bread. It's a place wherein the humble are depicted as poor, and the poorer one becomes, they later found to be that much richer. I'm speaking of no other place than the awesome world of scripture. So please turn off your phones, perk up your ears, and get ready to listen. We're out of death is about to begin teaching. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. So. We are continuing on exploring the story of Israel. Amen. And so, yet again, we're going to try to take it from the top. Top getting kind of long, kind of far from the bottom. You know, but we're going to take another shot at it. So we're talking about the story of Israel. And so um, it's important that we understand that Israel is uh, I'm sorry hold on 
having some technical <coughs> difficulties. Oh, okay. No, we good. No, we're not. Okay. Alright, so I guess we're okay. It's, there's a delay, but it's okay. Um, so, talking about the story of Israel. Now, Israel is the son of Elohim. And so, you know, this is what we should all be striving for, to be sons and daughters of Elohim, my man. The children of the Most High El. You know, now, that's what Israel was. And so, you know, when we become Israel, we become sons and daughters of Elohim. Now, there are native-born Israelites, but there are also those who have became or are becoming Israelites. You know, you don't have to be born an Israelite to become an Israelite or to be an Israelite. So, you know, that's important to know. You know, so, um, whomsoever, whomsoever will, you know, might come. You know, and if you have came, welcome to Israel. Now, don't get super excited because you can lose your citizenship. You know, so hallelujah, you know, that you became Israel, but the goal is to remain Israel, you know, and die Israel. Amen? You know, so that you'll ever live Israel. Say that. I know. Um, so, ultimately, you know, if you're an Israelite, at some point you're going to have to go to Mizraim. You're going to have to go to Egypt. And Egypt is just a spiritual picture of you going to the Word, the letter of the Word, and you beginning to learn about Yah. You know, and so this is your Mizraim experience, if you would. Or, you know, you being in the land of Egypt is just simply a picture of you being in the Word and you're learning um, the knowledge of the word, you know, now it also, Egypt can also speak to the worldly knowledge as well, you know, so you're learning um, the worldly knowledge as well as the knowledge of the world, as well as the world's concept of the word, you know, now, that said, at some point <coughs> along this journey while you're in Misraim, you're going to have to leave up out of Misraim, you're going to have to get to where you stop, um, you, you, you exit from learning about the word and start applying it to your life and start actually living the word, you know, and that's going to take you into another realm, if you would, you know, and so like your declaration that you're going to do that is, you know, is, is envisioned in the baptism where you fully immerse yourself in the water of the word, you know, and you, you know, stay there till you become something different, you know, and then you come out on the other end and you're like in the wilderness, you know, and so, you know, once you're in the wilderness, there's a wilderness experience that you must uh, endure. And so while in the wilderness, there's many, many things to prove you, to try you, you know, as, as a new Israelite. You know, Yah wants to make certain that you're worthy of being his son and daughter. Amen? You know, and so this is what the wilderness experiences. 
is about, you know. Now, during this experience, you're going to encounter some, some tests and trials. Some of them are going to be spiritual. Some of them, some of them are going to be physical. Some of them are going to be spiritual. But as 1 Corinthians 15, 46 teaches, the spiritual, however, was not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. You know, and so this is the way it was for Israel. This is the way it will be for us. You know, some physical um, tests and trials that uh, we're going to have to endure as well as some spiritual ones and the physical ones should usually come first. You know, and with Israel, it was the manna from heaven. This was this was one of their first physical trials. You know, they got out there in the wilderness and then ran out of food. You know, they had brought some things with them into the wilderness, but then they ran out. You know, and they was wondering, like, what are we going to eat while we out here? You know, and, you know, y'all let them starve for a while. Say lie. Y'all let them starve for a while. Did you catch that? You know, say say lie. You know, sometimes, you know, in being an Israelite, you may starve for a while. Y'all not going to let the starvation kill you. But he may let you starve for a while. You need to understand that. You know, now while out there in the wilderness, you know, he fed them with manna. You know, he supernaturally provided for them. You know, he gave them sustenance, you know, through manna. You know, now I don't know if it actually looked like this, but, you know, somebody's depiction, I thought it looked pretty good. You know, um, actually, you know, made a good slide. <laughs> you know, and so here it is. You know, we have spirit, a physical manna, you know, and then, you know, he even brought physical water from a physical rock. Now, these things also have spiritual applications, you know, um, as well, which will come later. Remember, first the natural, then the spiritual. You know, while in this wilderness experience, this is where we learn to fight. This is where we learn to deal with the... Amalekites, amen? You know, Amalek and his Amalekites, they attack Israel when they're at their weak point. You know, the Amalekites are valley dwellers. You know, so when you go down into the valley, when you're in your low place, this is when they like to attack. This is when they come upon you. But Yah teaches us how to fight and overcome them. And that's even by doing as Moshe did, sitting on the rock, you know, resting in Yahshua. With our hands held high, holding our staff in our hands. You know, our staff represents everything that we need. Our support, you know, our sustenance, you know, our strength. You know, we just give it, raise it all up to Yah and we just give it up to Him. And as long as we do so and we keep our hands lifted up praising Him, we win the battle. <coughs> but when our urns begin to come down, we begin to lose the battle. And sometimes our arms get so tired, we just simply can't hold them up any longer. And so we have to do, as Moshe so candidly illustrated, we have to get us an Aaron and a Her. That is, we have to get us a light bringer, someone to bring light to our situation or circumstance, and a Her, someone that was that's righteous, you know, to help hold our arms up. You know, so that we can understand the situation and circumstance that we're in and we can understand what righteousness looked like within that situation and circumstance. Amen? You know, and so we learn to fight. You know, and then 
you know, we're going to have some spiritual trials that's going to come forth as well. And, you know, even we're going to have to deal with spiritual manna from heaven. Well, spiritual manna, not necessarily from heaven, but spiritual manna, you know, that is allowed by heaven. You know, and this comes in the form of leadership, you know, leadership within Yah's body. You know, and um, while Israel was in the wilderness, it, it took the form of uh, the leadership that was set up by his father-in-law, Yethro's wise advice. You know, concerning making leaders of thousands and of hundreds and of fifties and of tens. And as well as the Levitical um, priesthood <clears throat> when Moshe was gone. This was actually the birthplace and the birthing of the rabbinic oral law. You know, and so they used these case laws to, you know, continue as time progressed to, to uh, judge over different matters. You know, and so that was their spiritual manna, you know, and their spiritual water was the angel that Yah sent before them to lead them into the land. Now, no wilderness experience will be complete without Mount Sinai. You know, you have to come to the place of Mount Sinai, to the mountain of Elohim, that is, to the kingdom um, in, in the wilderness where, where Yah speaks to his people. You know, every Israelite will have to get to a point where, you know, they come before Yah so that he can proposition them. And he propositions them, you know, to covenant with him. And if you're truly going to become his sons and daughters, you know, if you're truly going to become Israelites, you're going to have to covenant with Yah. Because this is what makes you his. You know, and so... His covenant is not without terms and conditions. And so the Ten Commandments, the com His commandments are His terms and conditions. You know, so you can't be covenanted with Him without adhering to the terms and conditions of the covenant because that's what makes the covenant um, either legit or void. You know, if you transgress the terms and conditions, then the covenant is broken. You know, but if you adhere to them, then the covenant remains intact. You know, and unbeknownst to many people, you know, when we start talking about Yah's Torah, his, his, his teachings and instructions, you know, there are two parts to it. The original Israelite, as well as the Yahudim of today, recognize that Torah has two parts, even a written and an oral. The written speaks to the written word of Elohim, and the oral speaks to that case law that was passed down, you know, throughout the, the generations, you know, via the rabbinic law, you know, that which was set in place, you know, way back when. Well, if you like... All the other Israelites that be, truly became Israelites, you know, when it's time to covenant with Yah, you too will say, all that Yahuwah has spoken, we will do. And so, then become part of Elohim's covenant nation, which is a wonderful thing, you know. So, um, now you just have to remain in there. Now, the next thing that we read about is Yah, you know, he tells us to, Make a dwelling place for Yah. Amen? Mm -hmm. You know, so, like, Yah doesn't, he's not content with just 
leading us and guiding us from without. He wants to dwell within. He wants to be within our midst. Mm -hmm. You know, so this is um, what we're to do. We're to start making a dwelling place for him. Now, Exodus 25, 2 says, Speak unto the children of Israel that they may bring to me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. And so, you know, in building his, his temple, you know, we're going to have to give some offerings, you know, in order to get it to get it built. But these offerings should be free will offerings, meaning not coerced, meaning, you know, not compelled, you know, whatever he puts on one's heart. Amen? Mm -hmm. You know, then he has us to make some furniture for for his would-be tabernacle, his would-be dwelling place. And one of the first things he had Israel to make is the Ark of the Covenant, you know, some place to actually put the covenant, you know, that, that he just, that he just uh, propositioned you to enter into and you entered into. Now he has a place for you to put that covenant. And this Ark of the Covenant represents one's, one's mind, if you would, and how, you know, that's the only thing that's supposed to be there. You know, within one's holy of holies, you know, and it actually speaks to the subconscious mind in our actuality because the subconscious mind is what controls the body. You know, this is why when you have hypnotists, you know, they, they hypnotize someone, they tap into the subconscious mind and they say, you know, jump on one foot and bark like a dog and the person, that, you know, do it and, and not even know they're doing it. You know, so whoever sits on that throne <coughs> oftentimes controls what the person does. Now imagine if Yah is not sitting on that throne. Hmm. Imagine if the other guy is sitting on that throne. Hmm. You know, then you find yourself constantly doing things you don't want to do. Say lie. Mm. Mm. Then he had him make table of showbread. And this table of showbread represents the heart. You know, and this is more like our conscious mind. You know, and so you have to make, we all would have to make a table of showbread. We all would have to prepare our heart to receive Yah's showbread. That is his living bread. Showbread literally translated into face bread, you know, which is a picture of Yahshua ultimately. Yes, you have to prepare your hearts to receive him. You know, and then he has us, he instructs Israel to make a menorah. And the menorah, you know, uh, speaks to anatomically, it speaks to the lungs. You know, and it's so that there might be light within the temple, within the holy place. You know, and this light speaks to wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Now, the branches of the menorah speaks to the assemblies of Elohim. And so, 
within this, we also see that we're to find an assembly of Elohim, you know, that has one of, that has Yah's spirit over it, you know, and is emitting light. And you need the light to help you understand the living bread, because it's on the table of showbread, you know, but it's in the dark place. It's in the darkest part of the holy place over to the north. And so this light illuminates it. You know, hence people come to come to the assembly to get, to gain understanding of, of things. And y'all would have his Israelites to make a brazen altar and anatomically this brazen altar speaks to the gastrointestinal system of, of the body, you know, even from the mouth to the anus, if you would. You know, and the grate speaks to the teeth, you know, and you're to put things on the altar, only clean things, that is, you're to put on the altar, you know, so that you don't defile Yah's tabernacle. And likewise, you know, even with your own body, you don't need to put clean things on the altar, say la. Mm -hmm. And Yah would have Israel to make his the court of his tabernacle. And this court is what houses the holy place. And the holy place as a whole, you know, is a picture of a man's torso. And the tabernacle or the court is just a picture of one's ribs and diaphragm. You know, it's the wooden stakes obviously speaks to the ribs and then the <clears throat> curtains speaks to the diaphragm, you know, which moves when the wind blow upon it or when the air blow upon it. You know, um, just like your diaphragm, it moves when the air blow upon it or when you take a breath. Yahweh would then have Israel gather some olive oil that there might be light. You know, and so the olive oil speaks to Yah's word, his will, his way, his purposes, you know, that came from his olives. You know, Israel as a whole is depicted as an olive tree, and the olives can be likened unto his prophets you know, who were beat out of the tree and stomped underfoot, you know, and presented and subjected to immense pressures that the oil might run and be gathered. Well, many of them have went through that and we have olive oil today. You know, we have, we have our oil in the form of the scriptures. You know, it is the oil that have been that have been excreted from all the prophets of past who have went through such persecution and pressure that we might have oil. And I'm certain that there's more oil to come. Then Yah instructs Israel to make the garments for the priests, the high priest <coughs> garments, in which there's only six. This um, was the best uh, slide I could find, but there's only six. The turban and the crown are uh, presented as as one piece. 
and then there's no pants that's presented. Hmm. You know, so that makes six. Hmm. All right, and I think that's where we left off last week. You know, but after that, Yah instructs that these priests that he made the garments for be actually be consecrated unto him. And so certain people, Yah will have to be consecrated, you know, that is set apart unto him to do his his bidding. You know, and so this is pictured in the consecration of the priest, the Kohenim. And then he instructs that the golden altar of incense be made. And the golden altar of incense you know, is a beautiful piece that went right before the veil. And anatomically, it speaks to the thymus. You know, the golden altar of incense is where the sacrificial incense was burned. When burned, it caused the room to fill with smoke, which would in turn arise above the tabernacle. The golden altar of incense speaks to the thymus gland of the body. The thymus gland is a pinkish gray organ that lies underneath the top of the breastbone. Mm -hmm. The thymus process is a type of white blood cell known as the T lymphocyte. Mm -hmm. These T lymphocytes govern cellular immunity, which means they, helps, they help cells to recognize and destroy invading bacteria, um, viruses, etc. Abnormal cell growth, um, such as cancer and foreign tissue, you know, it, it helps to recognize and to target them. It, it, um, then we have uh, a quote from Achilles. Achilles once said, Waking like smoke in the breast of men, even as Agamemnon angered me, but we will let bygones be bygones, quieting the thymus in our breast. So thus, Thymus was metaphorically a rising of smoke in the breast. Mm. You know, even as you see with incense in the, in the uh, holy places, a rising of smoke. Now, although thymus comes from the Greek word thymos, its roots go deeper. Tracing it back beyond the world of Socrates and Plato, we find that thymus, thymos is from the Indo-European Indo root dehu which is the base of a wide variety of derivatives, meaning to rise into flames, to rise in a cloud, to smoke, etc. And so within this, you see a beautiful picture of the altar of incense. Mm -hmm. Next, we have Yah speaking about when they take a census. He speaks concerning when they take a census and he tells them when they take a census, census there to take up a tax, a census tax. It says, each one who is numbered shall give his half a shekel as an offering to Yahuwah. Everyone who is 20 years old and upward, the rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less. When you give Yahuwah's offering to make atonement for your lives that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before Yahuwah. And so there was a census tax that was implemented. Now, they didn't give it right here. You know, that's actually, it's actually given much later than 
than where we are right now. You know, but this is where the command came from, and this is where the instructions came from <coughs> as to how to do it. Next, we have the bronze basin that Yah commanded Israel to make, you know, in the court of the tabernacle. <laughs> You know, Exodus 30, 20 through 21, when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister, they shall wash with water so they may not die. They shall wash their hands and feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statue forever to them. You know, and this bronze basin was, was uh, it's, it's interesting because it was made from mirrors. And so it is so that you can see your reflection you can see what you look like you can see where you're unclean say la after the brazen altar was the brazen laver you know which is what we're talking about the brazen laver and behind the gi tract i.e the intestines are the kidneys within the laver was water that was used um for cleansing purposes, likewise with our kidneys, which filter the blood of the body, extracting the waste and discarding the dirty water, i.e. urine, and thereby cleansing our bodies. If you take a close look, you can see there's many similarities between betwixt the kidneys and betwixt this brazen labor. You know, they both were used for cleansing purposes. The term kidneys itself became an epithet for one's emotions. In ancient times, it was understood that one's emotions instructed the body as to how to act. Hence, they were often called the body's reins. And the same word for reins is the same word that's utilized for kidneys. Um, you find it in Psalms 160, I'm sorry, 16 verse 7 and Yermiyahu 12, 1 and 2. I'm my first reader read Psalms 16 verse 7 as well as Yermiyahu 12, 1 and 2. Psalm 16:7. I will bless Yahuwah, who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. Jeremiah 12, verses 1 and 2. Righteous art thou, O Yahuwah, when I plead with thee. Yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Thou hast planted them, yea, they have taken root. They grow, yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. Hallelujah. <coughs> Hallelujah. So uh, this is, that's the same word that's translated as kidneys everywhere else, reins in other places. Next, God instructs Israel on his recipe for anointing. You know, his own, he has, Yah has his own recipe for anointing oil. And so he gives his recipe for anointing oil, you know, to Israel. But this anointing oil isn't to be used on flesh. It isn't to be used on people, but rather on the tabernacle and its furniture. And so there was a special anointing oil that was made to sanctify the tabernacle and its furniture. 
and y'all gave instructions and told, you know, and also gave instructions that it was not to be imitated. Then he blessed a couple individuals with what seems like, you know, extraordinary ability. And that was Bezalel in the Holy Eye. You know, he anoints them or blesses them with the skill in order to make all these things that he wanted made for his tabernacle. Amen. When you're trying to make a tabernacle for him, don't worry. He'll bless someone in your life to help you achieve it as well. Basilea in the Holy Isle is mentioned in Exodus 30. It says, Then Yahuwah said, or is it 31? It says, Then Yahuwah said to Moshe, See, I have chosen Basilea, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Yahudah, and I have filled him with the Ruach of Elohim with skill, ability, and knowledge, and all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Akisamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you. Hallelujah. So, don't fret. When, you, when you're trying to erect the Yah's tabernacle within you, Y'all will have the people that you need in order to make you um, right as well. He'll, he'll give them the skills. Azalel, his name means shadow of Elohim. Yuri, his father, speaks to my light or my fire. Her, can speak to whiteness, liberty, or whole. So, you know, you see one that's in the shadow of Elohim, you know, that has his light and his righteousness. You know, you may recognize the term shadow of Elohim, you know, from Psalms 91. Psalm 91 and 92 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So that's a good place to be. So when you think about Bezalel in the shadow of Elohim, you know, you're to understand that he's in a good place. You know, it goes on in verse 2 of Psalm 91 to say, I will say of Yahuwah, he is my refuge and my fortress. My Elohim in him will I trust. So those who abide under the shadow of the Almighty, uh, uh, the Almighty is in Yah's refuge and within his fortress. Holy Yah, his name means the tabernacle or tent of the Father. How befitting to have someone working on the tabernacle. Names mean the tabernacle of the Father. Go figure. And then he's the son of Aki Samak, whose name means brother of help. And he's the brother that's helping Bazalil. I can't make this stuff up. You know, and he's of the tribe of Dan, which means judge or judgment. Then Yah, lastly in this chapter, he has 
where the Sabbath is reiterated. He brings it back up again. He talks about the Sabbath day. And ah uh, yeah, wait. Exodus 31. Let me have my next reader read Exodus 31, 12 through 17. And Yahuwah spake unto Moshe, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am Yahuwah that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it surely shall surely be put to death, for whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh, in the Sabbath of rest, holy to Yahuwah, whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For on six days Yahuwah made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Hallelujah. All right, so he reiterates this in um, the this, this Shabbat, and he tells us in verse 13. He says, Verily my Sabbath ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. So, it's a sign of the covenant that we have with Yah. And it's also in place that ye may know that he is Yahuwah who doeth sanctify you. See, the Sabbath is our surety that we are sanctified as well. If you're not keeping Sabbath, then you don't know if you're sanctified. In fact, surely you aren't. Because he says in verse 14, For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from his people. And if you defile it, defile it you should be put to death. So, in other words, there's no Israelite that don't keep the Sabbath. Now, there may be an Israelite that didn't keep the Sabbath, but there's no Israelite that don't keep the Sabbath. Did you catch that? See, you can have an Israelite that didn't keep the Sabbath. But after he didn't keep the Sabbath. After he stopped keeping the Sabbath. He ceased to be an Israelite. Because he was cut off from among his people. And if he defiled it. He was put to death. So understand. There's no Israelite. That don't keep the Sabbath. Only Israelites that didn't keep it. Hence, they're no longer Israelites. And if you're not an Israelite, then Yahshua is not your king. 
because Yahshua is the king of the Israelites. Rightful heir from the throne of David. David. You know, so please understand. <coughs> and no Sabbath, no sanctification. You're not set apart. As Yah's. You're not a part of his perpetual covenant. You know, and so hereby we learn that it's through the Sabbath rest that Israel is to know that they're indeed sanctified. You know, the Sabbath means rest, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so it's through the Sabbath or through <coughs> the Sabbath rest that Israel is to know that they're indeed sanctified. That is set apart, <coughs> made holy of Yah. Mm -hmm. But how so? What does this look like in everyday life today? But before we answer that, let us consider um, verse 17, where it speaks about on the seventh day that the Sabbath is assigned between the children of Israel forever, betwixt Yah and the children of Israel forever. For in six days Yahuwah made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested. And then it says, and was refreshed. Mm. This word refreshed is number 5314, you know, which is... Nafash, you know, but essentially it's the same as 5315, which is Nafesh, which means soul, which means living being. You know, so in other words, on the seventh day he rested and he was a living being. He went on breathing. He was a living being, you know. Could the Sabbath be connected to life itself? Hmm. That's what this nephesh is or nephosh is implying. You know, it's trans translated as refreshed, but it could have just as well be translated as living. Or he rested and he lived. Like, he went on living. You know, and you can rest assured, pun intended, that if you don't rest, Eventually, you won't be living. <coughs> Could there be a hint in that in that fact? Hmm. You know, a spiritual hint. You know, showing that yes, we must rest in <coughs> Yah's on Yah's rest <coughs> in order to continue living in Yah's life. Hmm. And we know Yah is the source of life. You know, those who aren't in in him, who's not living in him, even though they live, they're dead. They're just like a fish out the sea. They're flapping around, they're moving their mouths. But they dead. They good as dead. You know, so again, the question. How does this look today in everyday life? You know, what does it look like to be sanctified by the Sabbath? Today in everyday life. Well, consider Exodus 16.4. It reads, it says, Then said Yahuwah unto Moshe, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my Torah or no. So the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day. 
that I may prove them. What are we talking about here? Come on, disciple. Somebody know what's being spoken of here, right? The word. Say. What what'd you say, Aiden? Physical manna from heaven. Physical manna from heaven. Absolutely. This is concerning the physical manna from heaven. Where you go out and gather a certain rate every day. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, now the reason now, now you, you have to you have to ask, like, you know, what is this a picture of? Now we're you know, we we have some disciples here, so I want you to put on your thinking cap, you know. What is this a depiction of? Them going out and gathering a certain rate every day. What is that a picture of? What picture is y'all painting here? Reading scripture. Reading scripture. Gaining knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. That's good, but that's not what I'm looking for. I'm just looking for something. That, I'm not looking for something spiritual. I'm looking for you know, just the, the physical, the physical um, aspect. You know, so the surface level, just on the surface level. We're not getting deep right here. This, this just <laughs> well. What is them going out and gathering a certain rate every day? Yes. Bricks by the Egypt. They had to gather bricks. Working, absolutely. It just speaks to a daily routine. They had to do this every day. They had to go out and they had to gather in every day. I mean, so they, they had a routine that they had to do every day. But this routine was directly, it was directly uh, attached to what? Physical life. Say again. They're living. They're living. Their sustenance. It was directly attached to their sustenance. So can you see that Yah is painting a picture of their daily routine that's attached to their sustenance? Well, what do we call that today? Some people say it's a hustle. Some people say it's a job. Is this not your daily routine that's attached to your sustenance? Is this not the picture that Yah is painting and telling them that, hey, you got to go do this every day except on my Shabbat? Can you see that? Can you see that he's painting a picture of one's everyday routine that's attached to their sustenance? It's just a picture of their career. <clears throat> or the business owner. It doesn't matter what you do. Whatever you do every day that's attached to your sustenance. It doesn't matter if you're the housewife. Or the house husband. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you do on the day. I hope you're not here. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that in there. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> but whatever you do for your daily routine that's attached to your sustenance, you know, this 
is what Yah implemented. Why? To prove whether you're going to keep his Torah or not. Can't you see that this is just a picture of him seeing if his people will choose him over their sustenance? Can you see that? <laughs> it's just simply that's where the proving come in at it's simply a picture of him putting himself in a position to where they would have to choose him over their daily routine that brings about their sustenance why? because ultimately he's providing their sustenance See, and that's what a lot of people who, who have their jobs, who, who have their hustles, who have their jobs, who have their careers, who, who have their daily routine that they do for their sustenance, they fail, they, they oftentimes forget that their sustenance doesn't come from those things. It co doesn't come from that. They fail to, to understand that if it wasn't Yah that's putting it out there, you wouldn't be able to gather sustenance to begin with. It was he who made all the food we eat. Yes. He made the animals as well as the plants. He made all the food we eat. It's he who have provided the sustenance for us. Yes. It's he who enables us to go out and gather it. Yes. But on his Sabbath, he says, rest. Stop. Desist. Trust me, it'll be there the next day. <laughs> Exodus 16, 26 through 28, it says, Six days ye shall gather it. Speaking about the manna, the physical manna, but it says, On the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. <laughs> and it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day to gather, and they found none. <laughs> And Yahuwah said unto Moshe, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments in my Torah? Why do ye think some Israelites went to gather sustenance on Sabbath anyway? Greed. That's one good reason. Lack of trust. They put their sustenance over Yah. Absolutely. You know, all of these things are correct. There's many reasons why people refuse to keep Yah's commandments in his Torah. You know, many of them are due to their connection to their sustenance. So they fear not having their sustenance more than they fear Yah. They fear falling short more than they do Yah. You know, so verses 29 and 30 goes on to say, See for that Yahuwah have given you the Sabbath. Therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Hello, somebody. 
Therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days, abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now I have a question. What is Yah saying indirectly by providing all Israel with a double portion of sustenance on the sixth day? Absolutely. He's saying, I got you. He's saying, I got you. What else is he saying, though? <laughs> By providing a double portion of sustenance on the sixth day. I don't know if he's saying double for your trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know if he said that, but <laughs> you know, but indirectly, you know, y'all with a double portion on the sixth day, he's saying that I will provide for you to be able to keep my Sabbath. He's saying. That if you adhere to me, I will provide for you to be able to keep my Sabbath. Can you see that? If you want to go, if you want to not go without sustenance, then keep your Sabbath. Because this is what he's saying. He's saying, I will provide a way for you to keep my Sabbath. As fellow Israelites, what should we be thinking of when Yah has allowed us to gather extra sustenance? Because we see this is what he's doing on the sixth day. He allowed them to gather extra sustenance. So what should we be thinking of when Yah has allowed us to gather extra sustenance in our lives? We're just taking it a step further. Say again. Well, yeah, we're supposed to keep him first, but that's that's not exactly what it's saying. You know, the question is, what should we be thinking of when Yah has allowed us to gather extra sustenance? Now, he already provided. He, he allowed us to gather extra sustenance. Say again. <laughs> yeah, we do. But what should we be thinking of when we have more than enough? It's right up there. It's there. Somebody please find it. What should we be thinking of when he has given us more than enough? Keep his commandment. Say again. How about that he's given us the extra because there's going to be a time coming when there won't be any. Because on the seventh day, he don't give any sustenance. That's why he give extra on the sixth day. 
So if Yah has blessed you with more than enough, you should be thinking that, okay, there may be a day that's coming that I'm not going to have enough. So that's why Yah blessed me with more than enough today. Now, if you take, now imagine this. Imagine if you gather in that extra on that sixth day and you got Mary Jane over here who wouldn't let go of the pillow. And so she didn't get up and go go gather hers before it melted for the day. And then she come to you and she say, hey, you know, you got extra. You know, can you let me eat that? If you give her that, then what's going to happen to you and your family on the Sabbath day? You're not going to have anything. Can you see that? This is what people do time and time again. Y'all bless them with more than enough because he know that the day is coming when they won't have any. When he's not going to provide for them. But they spend everything. They don't save for the Sabbath. They get rid of everything. And they know it's Sabbath is coming. And then they say, well, I can't do the Sabbath because, you know, I can't feast with y'all because I don't have nothing to feast with. Hello, somebody. I'm just trying to get you all to see that when Yah gives you extra, save some for his Sabbath that you know is coming. Save some for the day when there's not going to be anything out there. Does that make sense? This is the whole reason he gave a double portion on the sixth day because he knew that when they go out on the seventh day together, they will find none. So this is why he give you a double portion on the sixth day. But if you take that extra portion and you squander it in whatever way, then you're going to have to go without on the Sabbath. Can you see that? Mm -hmm. It's a lesson to be learned in there. I pray everybody can see that. Mm -hmm. Now, what does this say concerning Israelites that haven't enough sustenance to keep Sabbath? Hmm. They neglected not so much as to do the work, but they neglected to put it up for the Sabbath. They neglected to save it for the Sabbath. Y'all gave them what they needed, you know. But and, and I've I've seen this so many times, you know, um, in the ministry. Y'all done gave someone what they needed, and they went and gave it to somebody else. Hmm. They won't have no rest. Hallelujah. They won't have no rest. You know, they stomach gonna be growling, keeping them up. No, I'm just. <laughs> but <laughs> but the point the point I'm making is like. When Yah has provided for you, you take care of you first. Then you take care of others. You know, now if you have enough, you know, to go through your Sabbath and 
bless someone else than greed. But if y'all done gave you your rent money, don't give your rent money to somebody else. And now you faced with getting put out. And then you begging y'all to provide for you. And he already did. Does that make sense? You know, if he already met your needs, then utilize what he's giving you for the needs that he gave them to you for. That's all I'm saying. You know, be a good steward. Because if he's giving you extra, you, you best believe that there's a time coming when there won't be any out there. So be wise. Know that the Sabbath is coming. Know that the day when there won't be you won't be able to go out and gather is coming. Now, Yahshua, he spoke on this too, you know, like, Yah also is saying, uh, before we get here, but Yah is also saying, he's, he's also saying, look, I got you, you know, like, I'm going to provide for you to keep my Sabbath, I'm going to provide for you to keep my commandments and my Torah, you know, all you have to do is adhere to me. And I got you. I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm not going to let you go hungry. I'm not going to let you, you know, um, not have sustenance. All you have to do is just follow me. Do what I tell you to do. Adhere to my covenant. And you good. When I give you something and I say it's for this, then that's what you use it for. You know, and Yahshua didn't say anything different. Consider Matthew Yahoo 6, 25 through 34. It says, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, or nor yet for the body or what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? A lot of people worry about their sustenance to the point to that they don't keep Shabbat because they think that they're going to have to go without sustenance. You know, not knowing that Yah will provide sustenance for those who keep Shabbat. And even though they can't go out and gather on the day of Shabbat, Yah will give them extra so that they don't have You know, so this is why Yahshua is saying, take no thought for your life. He goes on in verse 27. He says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? What were anybody going to do? He goes on in verse 28 and says, and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
Wherefore, if Elohim so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what will fall shall we be clothed? For after all these things do Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. Your provision is in your obedience. Your provision is in your keeping his commandments and his Torah, keeping his Shabbat. Your provision is in your obedience. His, he says in verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of Elohim and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, and you have a lot of people, they go, they go out and they they do everything under the sun on his Shabbat for sustenance. And they still don't have. Because they're not seeking his kingdom first. They're not seeking his righteousness first. Yah is saying, do me first. And then all these things shall be added unto you. He says in verse 34, take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He's saying, I got you. I got you. We in covenant. If we in covenant, if you doing me, I'm going to. If you're taking care of me and what I tell you to do, I'm going to take care of you and what you ask me to do. It's an exchange. Now we know from Israel's experience that what this looked like, we know that there's going to be times when you think you're going to starve. But you won't. You even bring Manna from heaven, if need be. There'll be times when you think you may die of thirst, but you won't. Because he'll even bring water from a rock, if need be. He's not going to let you down. As long as you don't let him down. But wait. There's more. <laughs> Leviticus 23.3 says six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest. In holy convocation, you should do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of Yahuwah in all your dwellings. What does it look like to rest on Yah's Sabbath? Yes, Yahoo 58.12-14, it shows us. It's a beautiful Illumination of what it looks like. It says, And they that shall be of thee shall build the old place, the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the past to dwell in. I like to think that's talking about us. I like to think that's speaking about us. 
I like to think we're in the gap and we're repairing the breach. I like to think that we're restoring the ancient paths to dwell in. Amen. Verse 13 goes on to say, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day. Understand, we're not to do our pleasure on his holy day. So, rest from your own pleasure. And call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of Yahuwah, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing thine own ways. Don't do your own ways on Yah's Shabbat. Mm -hmm. Nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Wait a minute, man. Hold on. Hold on. Let's think about this for a second. If, if you're not doing... If you're not speaking your own words, if you're not doing your own ways or finding your own pleasure or speaking your own words, then whose ways are you doing? Yeah. Whose pleasures are you doing? Yeah. <clears throat> whose, whose words are you speaking? <laughs> Can you see to rest on Yah's Sabbath is to rest from your daily routine that brings about your sustenance. It's the rest even from your own pleasure. It's the rest even from your own ways. It's the rest even from trying to find your own pleasure or even speaking your own words. Yah's Sabbath is all about Yah. Hence, it's not called man's Sabbath. It's called Yah's Sabbath. Because it's all about Yah. It's when you rest from you and yours. And you only deal with Yah and His. You know, if you're not doing that, then you're not truly keeping the Sabbath in fullness. Verse 14 goes on to say, Then shalt thou delight thyself in Yahuwah, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Yaakov thy father. For the mouth of Yahuwah have spoken it. Think you lying? Try it. Now it also says, that the seventh day is the Sabbath rest, but it also calls it a holy convocation. Mm. What is a convocation? I think everybody here know what holy is, right? Mm. But what's a convocation? Yeah. It's mikrah, number 47, 44. It means something that's called out. It speaks to a public meeting a, or a public assembly. <coughs> you can't keep Shabbat without his people. See, Yah wants to prove you as to whether or not you're going to keep his commandments, keep his Torah. Yah wants to prove you. How is he going to prove you? He proves you when you come amongst his people because he's in his people. If we are building tabernacles, that is dwelling places of the Most High, then that means that we're all are his people and he's dwelling in each and every one of us. And when we come together, 
When we come together, he's in all of us. So when your sister or brother in Yah is getting on your nerves, Yah is just proving you. <laughs> See, but you can't be proven if you're not in the midst of his people. You can't be proven if you won't deal with sister so-and-so that always get on your nerves. If you're not dealing with brother so-and-so that's always on your, on your back or getting on your nerves in some kind of way. See, this is how he rubs the dross off so that you that he might shine. He uses his people that are around you. You know, you'll notice like in the blessing of Abraham, when he's speaking to Abraham and he's telling him what he's gonna do, he, he'll speak of Israel and he said, I'm gonna make him like the sand of the sea. Then he'll speak to him again and say, I'm gonna make him like the stars of heaven. See, but you need the sand of the sea because the sand is abrasive. And so when it begins to rub up against something that actually will shine, it got to rub off everything that is not shiny. That is like the gold going through the fire. Or that's like taking some sandpaper to some silver that have dross on it. After you get finished rubbing it, it's going to shine. Yah wants you within the midst of his people so that he can use you to prove your neighbor and use your neighbor to prove you and make Israel better altogether. You can't do that when nobody come together. When all you're worrying about is your nerves and all you're worrying about is, you know, how such and such, you know, don't like you or brother so-and-so, you know, always picking with you. You know, this is how you grow in Yah. Those things are always going to happen. Because they are a part of the plan. They are a part of the plan. This is how we're made better. You think you just wake up one day and you become long-suffering? No, you have to suffer long to become long-suffering. You don't get to bear the fruit of long-suffering without going through something. You wouldn't know what joy was unless you had some pain. 